Welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Vanna Larson. This week, we're in Columbia Falls, Montana with Allison Dorr of The Red Barn. Allison is a fourth-generation farmer who is helping to bring up the next generation of farm kids and carry on the family's farming heritage. She and her husband, Casey, along with their two girls, share their little slice of heaven through the Red Barn, a luxury loft vacation rental, and through their farm-grown peppermint oil, raw honey, and pastured all-natural pork. And she's telling us all about it on today's podcast. So here we go with Allison Dorr. Well, we're here today in Columbia Falls, Montana with Allison Dorr of The Red Barn. Allison, thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. This is exciting. Well, tell us a little bit about you. Have you always lived in Columbia Falls? Yeah, I grew up here on the same property uh, that I live now. And um, I I grew up actually just, just down the road and... Uh, my, my grandparents um, lived on the same property, so I just got to enjoy uh, a lot of freedom and to adventure over this big piece of property. We back up to Forest Service uh, behind us here, and so it's really almost millions of acres of wilderness behind us here, and so it's a great place to grow up. Um, and then I, I went away to college in Oregon and played soccer there for four years and um, started my teaching career in Oregon and just felt the call to come home, come back to my mountains um, and the family farm. And we we looked around for a lot of different places to, to buy when we moved back to Montana um, here in the Flathead Valley. And um, Grandma was like, you know, here's here's this little corner of the farm. Um, you guys can be close to us. And and so we've uh, put down our roots here, and um, yeah, we just—it's—it's it's wonderful. It's just idyllic. It's a, a perfect place to live and raise a family. It's honestly one of the most beautiful views I have ever seen. Looking out your back window. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, like I always say, like I live in the postcard. You know, yeah. people people say that, and it's true. And uh, it it just never gets old. Every yeah. day, that mountain, um, all times of day, the shadow on the mountain, and there's. Um, you know, there's springtime waterfall and the wildlife. Um, it really is the postcard. And, you know, people say, uh, my sister and I were talking about this a few weeks ago, that uh, especially now here in, in Montana, that in order to have this lifestyle and to live a farm life uh, and to have those views, you have to be a millionaire or you have to be a really poor farmer, that <laughs> 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 uh, struggling farmer. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of we are living the legacy of my grandparents' hard work. Uh, my grandmother is still alive. She's 91, and um, she's, she is amazing. I mean, she's independent. Her, she's of sound mind. She, um, I laugh because she'll say, you know, I'm done doing this. Here's, uh, you know, my 35th birthday, she gave me her rolling pin and said, I'm, I'm, done, baking, I'm done baking pies. I've baked thousands. I'm done. I'm passing the baton kind of thing to me. And uh, and then last Christmas she made two. So, <laughs> uh, you know, she just doesn't, she doesn't quit. Um, and uh, she has that, that work ethic um, still in her nineties and it's just really inspiring. Um, so yeah, so this is, uh, this is where we live and, and it is really great. Yeah. Well, like you mentioned, you are now a fourth generation Montana farm family and you're just outside of Glacier National Park. Tell us about your life here on the farm. Uh, well, you know, I think um, Montana living is, is really, there's a lot of diversity in Montana, um, depending on what part of the state you're from. Um, the eastern side of the mountains is really big farms, and um, you have central Montana, a lot of mining communities. Um, but northwest Montana, we are in um, the crown of the continent, the, these Rocky Mountains. And of course, um, Glacier National Park is phenomenal and it's 15 minutes from my front door. And so um, just growing up in a place and living in a place where we have access to freshwater lakes that we can swim in and uh, the rivers, um, you know, learning to raft. I mean, most of my friends, even now we have like kayak mom Tuesdays and we go kayaking. And um, I, you know, one of a good friend of mine is, um, 
she's a, a world-renowned fly fisherwoman um, and fly fishing guide. And um, so we live this like outdoor life and experience, um, just part of being Montanans. And um, of course, you know, millions of people come here in the summertime, especially to kind of capture a little bit of that. That's a bucket list kind of thing to be here in the Flathead Valley. And uh, we get to experience it every day. Like I, I tell my kids all the time, you know, they're, they do appreciate where they live, but they don't quite understand that the things they get to do on a regular daily basis are things that other people maybe get to do once in a lifetime kind of things. And so that all comes because there's there's work that's involved. It's not easy to carve out a living in a place where there isn't uh, industry and um, a, a seasonal tourism kind of economy can be challenging in a lot of different ways, and especially then for farming. Um, and so we rely um, in our household for outside income. My husband, he, you know, he works remotely for a tech company. Uh, my brother is, uh, he works as a, a mechanic for a local uh, lumber mill. And, you know, we have to work outside the farm. Uh, my grandpa had to do that. He moved here in the 1950s. Uh, and my, my grandfather was just this brilliant man who, um, was orphaned at nine years old. And, uh, you know, it was always, we still hear the story. My kids still hear the story of my grandfather who had to go to his mother's funeral barefoot because he was like a child of the great depression and, uh, you know, the poverty and, and, um, he's the youngest of nine. And, uh, he, he moved up here to Montana or came up to Montana for construction. He helped build the, the local aluminum plant. And then they, they were pretty mobile. And um, he had worked in Los Alamos building the test site for the atomic bomb. And then he built bridges in, uh, in Oregon. And then th- this really had this kind of wanderlust to move to Montana. I mean, just put roots down here. And, and he loved uh, the beauty of this place, kind of captivated him. And so they moved back. He was asked to become the construction supervisor for the aluminum plant here in Columbia Falls. And so they moved here. And um, his father had been a, uh, a cattleman and ran horses and cows for the U.S. Calvary. And so all his brothers, um, you know, they were horsemen and cowboys. And he, he had grown up um, with that lifestyle. He was the youngest and had the wounds to show for that. But um, he started, you know, buying up uh, with with his extra money out of his paycheck, and, and it was a struggle for them for years, but little homesteads and connected properties and put together this farm, but he always worked outside the farm, and this was kind of, um, this piece of property was intended to be their retirement, and, um, and then he got to retirement age, and my dad had taken kind of over the operations of the farm, and, and my brother and sister and I were here, and we spent every day with my grandparents. Um, he had retired, and, and he just, I think, grew to love this place. You know, land has a, a way of doing that, of becoming a person of sorts, and now it is for us. I mean, my grandpa, he, he kind of lives on in this property, and his legacy is here. We talk about him all the time. My kids we call them poppyisms, you know, they say the phrases that he did, uh, and they're, most of them are work-related, like, uh, you know, make yourself useful as well as ornamental, or um, you're as handy as a pocket on a shirt. I mean, that was a real compliment from my grandpa, um, because we'd pal around with him on the farm, you know, feeding cows or uh, weeding peppermint, digging potatoes, whatever, you know, crop that my, uh, my dad had us going on at, this, at that time. Um, but there was value put to work ethic and that's kind of what I want for my kids, which is why we're here. You know, we could, we could choose to live other places, but I, I love that for myself, the, the satisfaction of doing real labor, um, and seeing the, the work of your hands and it's meaningful and, uh, it's just kind of part of who I am. It's, it was ingrained pretty young from my, my grandfather and my grandmother and my dad, um, and the way that they they live. What an amazing legacy. Yeah, it's yeah. it's really special. Well, you found some great ways. It sounds like your family has always been kind of resourceful with the, with the land and how to maybe grow different crops and stuff, but you found some great ways to use the resources here as a source of income for you as well. Yeah, um when I was young, my dad really put forward to me um, a lesson he learned when he was when he was young. He was about eight or nine years old and he he wanted a baseball glove. And my grandpa said, Well I, 
I want these sticks picked up. You want a baseball glove? I want these sticks picked up. And, and my dad was, well, okay, well, so my grandpa said, you know, if you pick up these sticks, I'll pay you X amount, 50 cents or something. And, uh, an hour and you pick up all those sticks and you can buy your baseball glove. But I'll tell you, we don't have time to take you into town to play baseball with your friends. You're out here on the farm. So why don't you buy a BB gun or a fishing pole or something that you can use out here where you live? And, you know, my dad was stubborn and, you know, I want a baseball glove. And so he worked and he picked up those sticks and he got enough money. He bought a baseball glove and sure enough, there was nobody to play with. And so he like threw the ball up on the roof and caught it for a few times. And then, I mean, he still has the baseball glove and, and he, he, you know, takes it out. It's like that, um, memento of that really pivotal moment for him where he realized that the value of money, which I think is important in value of work, but also that he could earn money to buy what he wanted. And, and, um, you know, just the importance of being able, the empowerment of being able to work for what you want. And then in the end also that his dad was really wise (laughs) and he he learned that too. And so, um, when I was about eight years old, my dad told me, he said, if you do, uh, an adult's work, I'll pay you an adult's wage. And in that time we had, um, acres and acres of, of peppermint and peppermint, uh, the leaf oil is what you're after. And that pure flavor comes only when there's no weeds in it. So, I mean, now I go out and weed my, my garden and I'm like, Oh, so many weeds. (laughs) But when I was a kid, we had a crew of, of mostly housewives who, you know, would, uh, would come out in the mornings, mornings like this. And we would go out and weed these fields behind us here, um, that were full of peppermint. And, uh, so just the smell of peppermint, it has a lot of nostalgia for me. Um, but he did, he was true to his word and he paid me the same wage he was paying those adults. And that money kind of burnt a hole in my pocket, to be honest, as a kid. But I learned that I could, um, that I could work towards what I wanted. And, um, again, that's just such an empowering idea. And from that, I went off to college and I wanted to be a journalist at first. And I thought, oh, this, you know, I love to write. I want to be a journalist. I want to travel. And, and then I realized, oh, I'd be broke my whole life. I could work really hard, but the return isn't there. And so then I switched majors to become an English teacher. And as a teacher for 13 years, I taught high school English. Um, and I really, it's a rewarding profession and I love teaching. Um, but I was always kind of interested that in teaching, I really, it's not a high paying job. And I'd have colleagues who would complain about, you know, how do, how do you get ahead? And I thought you just have to work more. You, you you have this time off or you have these different ways that you can diversify what you're doing. And so it's just, it is just part of kind of my makeup to think of, um, and that, that definitely comes from my dad. My dad is, um, you know, he's, he's brilliant and he's, um, he's always, kind of innovating or creating and, and pulling from the resources available. If we talk about, well, what should we do on the farm? What are some things that we could do, some some new ideas? What are some niche markets? And, and my dad's first response will be, well, let's look at the resources that we have available. We have this pasture land. We have this water. We have the timberlands. And so we, we just kind of think that way. And so one of the obvious resources that we have here um, on this piece of property is this amazing, incredible view and the farm behind us, um, hundreds of acres of unpopulated land. And people come to Montana looking for that. And in uh, this valley, in Flathead Valley, it's, it's, the population is increasing. People are coming here as second homes and, and to live. And so it's, uh, it's more challenging to find these open vistas, and people want that. And so we're capitalizing on that with the Red Barn, where we love to host people and offer them a little taste of Montana rural life, but luxury of staying in a, in a really special five-star hotel. So, you know, that was kind of a, and I, we started the barn when I was still teaching. And then in faith, I stepped away from teaching thinking, you know, Lord, if you want this to grow, I'm going to, I'm going to trust that you're going to replace that income in other ways. And, um, and God was faithful to do that with my husband's job, um, and the work he was doing, uh, being blessed, but then also, uh, a full calendar, uh, with the barn. And, um, and then other ways we've, uh, we've started to add value to some of the things that we grow here on the farm by bottling our own peppermint oil and selling it retail in a little shop. I, um, shop space I have in Columbia Falls at the shops at station eight, which is a, 
a, a great little store, um, a fun place to visit. And we also um, we have a community market in Columbia Falls on Thursday evenings, a farmer's market. So some of it is just timely, you know, that as um, I was moving out of one profession, doors were opening in other ways because there's a uh, there is an interest now in essential oils and peppermint oil that, you know, 20 years ago wasn't there. That niche market wasn't there. It was, you know, that oil was still being produced, but it was so being sold as a commodity to your toothpaste companies and your peppermint gum and those kinds of things. And now there's uh, there's an interest. And so it is more sellable directly. And so we're capitalizing on that. And, and we're trying to do that with some honey, um, you know, and that's just adding to what we're already are doing, um, we uh, we're raising pastured pork, and so we're working on being able to sell that more um, direct market uh, with our Berkshires. So, you know, I'm always uh, my brain, my poor husband, my my brain is always going with these ideas of you know we could do this, so we could do that, we could do cut flowers, we could you know we should get lavender oil or whatever, and and you know some of those things come to fruition, and others are just dreams. And my husband is learning to just like hear me out <laughs> and you know that I just kind of need to speak them. Um, but I, I definitely inherited that from my dad because, um, you know, he's, he's got a, a great new idea that could work every day. It's just a matter of, of implementation and resources, but yeah, we're, we're excited about what could be coming in the future for us here on the farm as we, we kind of transition to, uh, maybe some more direct marketing, uh, local market. That's great. Talk to us a little bit more about the barn and kind of the story behind that and how that all came to be. Yeah. Um, we bought this corner of the farm for my grandma, uh, when we moved back here and, uh, we, uh, part of it is just, again, resourcefulness. We were looking for an inexpensive way to build, um, a home and I, um, kind of a couple of different things at the time I, had, um, as a teacher, I had earned a Fulbright Memorial Fund scholarship and went with 200 other American teachers to Japan for three weeks. And, um, that kind of got me interested in, in travel. And so, um, we had a homestay for a few days there and I stayed in a rural part of Japan in a, uh, with a f- farm family. And there was, uh, some difficulties in that experience just it really stretched me I mean I was there by myself without my husband with people I had just met didn't know Uh, but it was really a great experience it was so much fun in the end even though it really was challenging so the next summer Casey and I decided to travel to Italy and we were very budget conscious I think uh, Rick Steves like recommended you know the the least expensive places to stay and that's kind of what we ended up with but uh for a week of this day, we I really wanted to see Tuscany. I mean, I just am so drawn to other places, rural communities. I mean, there's a lot of architecture and history and art and all those things that are wonderful in the cities. Uh, but I like to kind of get out and meet the the people uh, like you do. Yeah. <laughs> I guess here you oh, are. Yeah. Yeah. In the kindred souls. <laughs> yes. And so we ended up uh, using a, a company to find this little olive farm basically in the middle of Tuscany at this little tiny stone cottage uh, that we stayed there for a week and we rented a car which I mean lots of we still laugh about um, (laughs) some of the adventures of driving a car in Italy and uh, it was just it was just wonderful it was idyllic that they didn't speak any English um, but we just we loved being in that place and just we we felt not Italian when we left but we felt like we had really um, experienced what it was to live in this little community. It was a mile walk to the castle town where they had one restaurant and the chef, he prepared one dish. Um, you know, there was, it, it wasn't all of the, the choices. It was just this simple life that you thought, why don't we go back to that? You know, that, that, and aren't people looking for that kind of authentic experience when they travel somewhere? And so I was also in the summer times working for Glacier Raft Company uh, in West Glacier. And from that experience, I knew the need for more lodging. And so it kind of dawned on me in this moment of inspiration that, that we should build something where people could come and experience Montana farm life and have, have more of an experience where they stay and not just a hotel room, that people were really looking for that. And of course, at that same time, there, there was, was really predates Verbo and a lot of those platforms. Um, and so we, we built the barn and we lived in it. Um, and then we actually, we built our house and we moved into the house and we rented the barn 
long term um, to a, a, a friend of, of our families. But we, uh, in our mind, we built it as a place for people to vacation because we wanted to invite people into into our world in the same way that we had been kind of invited into these other places. And uh, and we look for that when we travel. We do. We look for places that we can connect with real people who are uh, in those places that we're going to. And I've, I've just um, been able to do that enough times to to make it where those are the moments that I remember most of a place that I visited. And so we rent on a Glamping Hub and on VRBO, Airbnb, uh, and then also through our own website, we book uh, the Red Barn. And it's a two-bedroom, uh, one bathroom, about 1,000 square feet. And we have a deck that faces uh, this mountain view. And, and our guests come from all over the world. And uh, it, it's been so fun to stay connected with people that have come and stayed. And we have, of course, return guests um, that come year after year and uh and I love hosting. Like I found that that is just really a part of, uh, an important part of who I am. Even if I'm not, you know, in the barn preparing meals, it's not a bed and breakfast. But I think about as, um, as I'm cleaning or as I'm setting out a gift for them, uh, uh, as I'm decorating, that these people, like I am welcoming them into my home. And I want them to enjoy the comforts. So I make sure that the things that are in there are, you know, a comfortable bed and, and, you know, luxurious sheets and you need a robe. And I try and think through all the things that would make their stay seem just like they're pampered and important and they really are our guests. And, and then it just brings me so much joy when then, you know, you, they, they're thankful and they've had a great time and the barn becomes part of their, Glacier National Park experience. I mean, yes, they went to Avalanche Lake or they went drove going to the Sun Road, but they also stayed at the barn, at the Red Barn, and we're part of then their story. And I, I really love that. Um, and it comes full circle. A few years ago, Casey was on a trip to Paris um, for work, and I just had to go along, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, right? I do have to. Had to go along. And, uh, and so we were there for a week. He was working, and during the day, I, I mean, I'm a pretty, um, thanks to farm life, like a confident person, or at least I can fake confidence. A lot of my <laughs> friends think like, oh, you're so confident. I'll say, well, no, I just know how to like look confident <laughs> even when I'm not. So I'm, I'm not totally afraid to be in a city by myself walking around. So I did, I, I, uh, I had the whole, the whole city to myself really for the day. And then I'd meet up with Casey. So he didn't have to go to the, the Louvre. He didn't have to go to museums. He wasn't interested in, but we could have the evenings together to walk around and uh, on Friday night, we were at the Eiffel Tower, and um, we were kind of doing the whole the whole evening. It was you know end of his work week, and that was with a Paris terror attack. And we were out oh. um, walking in the same neighborhood. I actually had started met him at the Louvre um, where the attack had started, and uh, we were out till about two in the morning. This thing, we, the police sirens. Yes, we were right there, um, staying by Notre Dame, which is where the police station was, and. So then I find out like what's going on. And of course I start to kind of panic and I want to go home. (laughs) I want out of the city. And uh, ironically, there was a woman who had stayed here in the barn with her mother two summers before. And we had a bad fire season and they had come across country by car and they got here and they just kind of like, oh, we're tired of traveling. I mean, we drove through the park. We just want to sit in the, in the barn for a week. And they were wonderful. Her mother was uh, is 85 years old and uh, she taught my girls French phrases and they sent the girls Christmas presents and Christmas cards where we stay connected on Facebook. And um, this wonderful woman, she found out that I was in Paris because I had, you know, said something like on the Facebook where you can say, I'm here and I'm okay to all your family. Oh, Cause of yeah. course they were freaking out. So she, she saw that on Facebook and she called me and she says, I'm coming to get you. Where are you? And so we spent the day where the whole city was in mourning and in chaos with this wonderful woman who had stayed here at the barn two years before. And, um, and it just, took away all fear that I had that I was in this strange place in this terrible time. And, and, um, anyway, so I, like I said, I don't know if you're going to keep that, but, uh, it's just a great, a great story. Like you connect with people, you have real experiences with real people and, um, and it doesn't have to be, I think, hosting 
the barn um, or hosting guests in your home or however you're bringing people into your lives. It doesn't have to be really complicated. You know, it's I, I make sure the barn is clean. People want that and comfortable. And I think it's kind of cute up there. But it is. Um, it's, it's a matter of just thinking simply about what are the simple things that people want. And a lot of that is just connection and real life. Um, and so it was a couple of weeks ago we were we had some guests here and they were sitting up on the deck and Casey was working his bees and I moved the horse out of the, uh, the round corral. Um, she's a rescue horse and she can't be on pasture. So we have her in a round corral and I moved her out because the girls are working on their 4-H pigs. And so we were trying to get my nine-year-old used to, you know, showing her pig in an arena. So we moved the horse out and tied her up and then put the girls walked their pigs or tried to walk their pigs into the round corral. Well, if you know anything about pigs, you let them out of their pen and they go like they truly go hog wild yeah. I mean they just like oh they're so excited and their little tails that pigs can run pigs can run yeah. and so you know yes I have this uh, it's not like beautifully manicured yard back here, but I have flowers and landscaping and I have a big garden and I have raspberry bushes and those pigs are just running crazy back there. And here's my little girls, you know, <laughs> and it all worked out fine. The pigs got in the corral, they walked them around, we got them back, but those people, they just were like, that is the best free show <laughs> we have ever had. Uh, yeah, like, welcome to the farm, uh, welcome to the chaos sometimes, but I, I love being able to share that with people, so. Yeah, a real day in the life. Yeah, a real day in the life, sometimes a little crazier than yeah. others. <laughs> right. Well, you kind of mentioned this before, but you also have a storefront in Columbia Falls. So what was the inspiration and idea behind doing that? So I'm in a store called the Shops at Station 8, and it is one of my favorite um, favorite stores. Uh, and it's it's an antique store, home, home decor, uh, and it just has this wonderful feeling. It's a, a curated uh, collection of of like little vignettes. It's, um, it's a wonderful place. And I had shopped there or really like stopped there on my way home from work, you know, as like a respite, a transition between working with teenagers and coming home to toddlers. <laughs> I would stop there for just like a moment of reprieve, uh, before coming home. And when I quit teaching, uh, I wasn't like bored. There's, there's more than enough things to do, but I had had, I have this friend, Amy, she is, a a real cheerleader. And she had had a space there at Station A, a little storefront selling antiques and vintage things. And she said, you know, Allison, I really think, I think you need to do this. I just, I feel like you would be really great at this. And um, she just kept encouraging me. And she, in many ways, has encouraged me to um, I mean, it takes, she's persistent. It has taken years. Allison, you need a blog. You need a blog. And okay, I'll start a blog finally, you know, <laughs> seven years later. Uh, but she's, she's, uh, it was really encouraging and it just came together. The owner of the shop contacted me and, um, I'm not somebody who really goes out, um, seeking things I have, you know, there's more than enough work I can help with on the farm and taking care of kids and helping out my grandma. Um, there's a lot of books I love to read. I mean, I'm an English major. Like I could just sit around and read books all day. So I don't always like go out like looking for these things, but when they come to me, I really have to be evaluative and say like, okay, why is God bringing this situation or this person into my life? And, 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 and try and, you know, be critical and thinking about, uh, if this is something I want to do or not. And so, you know, retail, it was something I was only familiar with as a consumer and not really, uh, so much as, um, as a person in the business, but I decided to jump in and, um, I always, you know, try and do some research about what that is. And, um, the, the person who owned the shop, Colette, she was just so good at, uh, again, being a coach for me. And she has a, a background in, in uh, marketing for big corporations in, in California. And she has just, uh, just this amazing personality and so encouraging, but a great teacher. And so, um, I'm, I'm really a lifelong learner. Like I, I mean, I just, whatever it is, whether it's okay, we're going to try and uh, be beekeepers. Well, let's read everything there is about beekeeping and go visit these, these friends who have bees or, um, so I kind of did the same thing, like start, you know, uh, visiting other shops and getting a sense of what was it that I was trying to do and what did I want this shop to feel like? Um, I do love that now when people come into the space at the store, uh, and it's like, 
Uh, it, there is many vendors, uh, different shops within. It's the old train station that used to be in Columbia Falls. And it got moved off the tracks when um, a president was going to come visit. And they were like, this is not up to par with presidential visit to Glacier National Park. So they moved this uh, old building off the tracks and built um, a train station in Whitefish. And, of course, changed the, the local economy in doing that. So this building sat vacant for a long time and then was used as like a... Uh, automotive repair shop and then it was brought back to life about 10 years ago by call it gross and uh, so it's this great eclectic shop but I want people to be able to walk into my space and have um, a sense that there is a certain feeling or vibe um, so I it's farm for sure um, although there is also a sense of travel um, in my space. But I, I try and curate. There's a collection of antiques that I bring in or sometimes farm salvage off the farm, go to the junkyard, <laughs> the farm junkyard kind of thing. <laughs> um, and then also I, I try to do a lot of local products, um, including our own peppermint um, that we bottle and our honey. Um, my daughter also makes wonderful lip gloss with our uh with our essential oil. Um, and so we, we sell that at the store and, uh, I just want people to be able to go in and say, you know, here's, this is Allison's space and people do that and they feel that and they can take, um, something that I'm putting together visually and bring it into their space and have a little bit of that simple farm feel good, you know, yeah. um, cause this is really, it's what it's about. Absolutely. You mentioned this a little bit too, but you also have a blog where you share about life on the farm and recipes and more. Yeah, I um, like I said, my friend Amy has encouraged me for years <laughs> to start a blog, and uh, and um, then I kind of heard it like three times in a row from three different people, and like you need to do this, and um, you're a, you're a teacher, you can teach people. I think you know, in some ways, I'm really late to the blogging world, um, and I I don't really have like a desire to blog to become famous or. Like none of that is appealing to me, but I feel um, I felt compelled in the last year, especially that um, that I do have a story worth telling. That there's there's an audience of people who need to hear about what real farm life is like, what real rural life is like, um, what it is to to raise your own food and to understand. Maybe the, you know the people want to know where their food is coming from, and um, people are looking for authentic. And that if we don't start to tell that story ourselves um, as people living a rural life or as a farm kid, if I don't share my grandfather's stories or my grandmother's work ethic, um, if I don't talk about the genius of my dad um, and, the, and the hard work and how little he has to show for it, um, that somebody else will. And it's those stories that kind of pollute food culture and... Um, and the media in the United States. And, uh, and I, I feel like um, in so many ways, people are coming back to a place where they want, they want connection. They want to eat local. I mean, that's not a, a new just now happening thing, but, but it's coming back to that. People want, um, want to come back to that. And so I feel like I, I can rally behind a purpose. And if the purpose is just like... Um, about me and what I'm eating for dinner, then <laughs> that's yeah. not a story worth telling. Uh, that's not good literature. You know, I've got to remember I'm an English teacher, so I have expectations of what it is <laughs> I'm reading and uh, and what I'm producing for an audience. And and so I have to have what is the purpose of this. And so it's really come to me in the last year that that there is a purposeful message to the life I've been given, the opportunity to lead here. Um, living on a fourth generation farm here in the Flathead Valley in Montana, minutes from Glacier National Park. And the the lessons I'm trying to teach my children about what it is to work hard and to uh, know where your food comes from and how to grow your own food and to make decisions about, you know, even with their 4-H animals. Okay, well, if we grow, if you raise this breed of hog, you might get a purple ribbon for showmanship, but the meat you're going to produce won't be worth eating. And so what are we after? And why are we after that? Well, who's buying this 4-H hog? Oh, it's somebody in our community. It's the guy who we get tires from, or it's our banker. It's these community connections and relationships. So is the purple ribbon worth more to you than the value of that relationship from this person who's 
purchasing this product from you? Don't you want to grow the best thing you can for that person? Um, because they're real people and we're all interconnected in this community. And so um, having a, an opportunity to share that not only with my children, but maybe perhaps with a little bit larger audience um, of people, I think I think there is a message there that's important. Um, you know, as a teacher, uh, an English teacher, I'd oftentimes give my students a, a prompt, a quote to write to in their journals. And uh, one of, you know, there's so many good things out there, but one of them that's, you know, the classic teacher quote is be the change, be the change you want to see in the world. And I totally believe that uh, there's truth to that, that you have to, you know, live out the things that, that you want to see happen for good in the world. But I've really come to realize that it's, it's, it has to start at home. And um, it has to start with, with my children and the way that I live. And that takes time. Um, you know, it's not something that just happens when you give it uh, 10 minutes in between, um, you know, dinner and bedtime that you really have to, um, you have to have patience and you have to give things time. And that's true of, of farming. I mean, if, you know, if you go out and buy acreage, I have, you know, friends who have done this, they go out and they're, they're going to buy 20 acres and they're going to farm it. And if there hasn't been good practices, land management and stewardship practices on that land for the hundred years prior to that, like you, you're not going to just plant things and have them pop up and it takes work and it takes stewardship. And it's a, it's a long game. Farming is a long game because you have to, you have to invest in year after year, the little pieces. Um, and it's that way with people too. And with society and culture and communities, it takes, it takes time and perseverance and patience, um, and it and it can't happen, I guess, just because you wish it to or because you're focused on yourself. Um, you have to be willing to to connect um, outside of yourself and understand how you um, how you connect to other people in your community and in perhaps a larger community. So all that coming back to the blog. Uh, yes, I started a blog um, and I, I am excited to share um, and motivated to share stories of our family and, um, and what we're doing here, um, our heritage and, and the legacy, the lessons I've learned from uh, the farm and uh, from my grandparents and my, and my father and, um, and, and recipes. I, uh, I'm not, uh, again, I'm not a chef. I'm not um, somebody who went to school for that. I don't have a restaurant, uh, but I am a lifelong learner. I think that's such an important thing. And uh, my second daughter, Evelyn, is uh, gluten intolerant. And uh, we had a lot of issues with her when she was little. And uh, and gluten-free is the same kind of thing. You've got a slow life down when you can't just pick up the dinosaur chicken nuggets and throw them in the oven. Like you have to have time to make real food. And so I had to slow my life down. Um, it wasn't that I, uh, disliked my career or teaching. It was rewarding, but I had something had to give in order to be able to give to, to the things that really matter. And, um, and that's eating, uh, healthy, good food. And so, uh, gluten-free cooking is, is really a challenge. My mom is so cute. She made cookies, um, that were gluten-free cookies and, you know, this last weekend. And she's like, ah, the texture's not really there, but I made some. And <laughs> I remember being in that place, you know, by necessity, having to go to gluten-free and then just throwing things in the garbage because it was inedible. And, um, one of my favorite stories to tell my poor mom, she, uh, she, I had, it was Evie's third birthday and I was trying to make a gluten-free cake that I could just serve to everyone because I was so tired of like having to make two meals every time we hosted and we have about 25 family members that live within a three-mile radius. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, we just, we are always hosting. I mean, I love hosting. My husband is, a, is great on the barbecue, so we always are having people over. It's uh, it's just lots of people lots a lot of the time. So I was just trying to figure out, like, at first how to, how to create one birthday cake that everybody could eat. And so I was, you know, every recipe I could find we ate a lot of cake <laughs> and I thought I had come to one that I thought, okay, I can, I, I think everybody would like this. And I, my, my mom was over and I was like, mom, try this. And, um, she is just the most gracious, sweetest person. Like she's not somebody who is critical of others. And she just wrinkled up her nose and was like, Allison, you cannot feed that to people. <laughs> 
<laughs> you cannot be that to people. And I just cried. I mean, all this work and effort. Um, and really what it came down to uh, for me, and it, it has taken years, but it's learning. And then it, but it's also kind of going back to simple. Um, my grandmother taught me to cook. And uh, she's, you know, she's of the Great Depression. So it's like simple ingredients. And we don't always have a recipe. I mean, you have to like really sit grandma down to say, okay, but what did you do? And then even then it's like, well, you just put some in, you know, it's like, yeah, a what's pin- some, it's a, yeah. you know, a pinch of this or, <laughs> or, you know, and whatever you want to do, you know, it's like, you don't have to. And, um, and that's hard for people. There's yeah. a lot of people who cannot cook that way. And I'm realizing that <laughs> yeah. you know, they want the it's exact step by step. And, and Casey jokes, my husband jokes that, uh, well, girls enjoy this meal because your mom just made it up. We're never eating this again. You know, like, <laughs> oh, mom, this is really good. Well, it's not happening again because it just was what I had and we just threw it together. Yeah. Uh, and my grandma taught me to cook that way. And um, so coming back to that, instead of trying to, you know, just read through these cookbooks and all these ingredients that I didn't even know what they were, or how to pronounce them. And then it was, you know, gar- garbage anyway in the end. And so there are a couple of really great um, gluten-free cookbooks that I that I go to, but a lot of times it is just taking a basic recipe and trying to modify it to be gluten-free. And so, yeah, I hope to share some of those recipes and some ways of eating uh, in Montana. We eat outside a lot. Uh, we're outside a lot, even in the wintertime. Um, we just have this, you know, beautiful place to be and we, we love to be outside as Montanans. And so, uh, yeah, we'll, you know, pack a picnic and go sledding or, take the horses up into the mountains and you got to eat all the time, you know, and yeah, yeah, eating brings people together. It's, it's what it's about and uh, eating good food. And so, um, I hope to share, uh, some of those, some of those things on the blog. I love it. Well, as you have built these businesses and different things, what are some of the things that you've learned along the way? Um, definitely to like put faith into practice, you know, faith on its own is, you, you can't put faith in faith. You have to exercise faith and trust in God. And so um, I don't, I, I guess I don't start out like thinking, oh, I really want to build this business. This, this, I, I, I don't have this like lofty goal. I know other people do of like, oh, I want to be in a magazine and be published or I, um, you know, I want to make X, X amount of money. Uh, that's, it's not really like my focus. I guess I just think about what is the quality of life um, that I'm looking for, the, the lifestyle that I'm looking for. And, and it's not about money to get to that. That that's not really my, my goal. In fact, um, from a business perspective, thank goodness I married an accountant. Okay. Like, (laughs) let's just be real clear about that. Like he's, you know, uh, we are, um, strengths and weaknesses. It's, it's amazing how God brings those people together. So yeah, my, I'm, I'm a creative mind for sure. Um, and, uh, I'm hardworking, but my husband, I mean, he's, he's, I I couldn't do things without him for sure. So he's, he's been integral in that. Um, but I come up with, you know, this, this creative idea. And I think, um, again, like with, whether it was the store or the barn or, uh, the peppermint, like things, things start to come to place. And I just, I, I try to, um, really go, go, go to scripture and spend some time in prayer. I, I look for, I seek wise counsel of, is this a a good idea? Um, I try to be really careful about um, my time. You know, like I said, if uh, if I have to start at home and spend that quality time, I can't be so stretched out. Um, And I I am a busy person. I, I have a lot of things going on. But I have to be really careful about uh, being intentional with my time and my energy and my creative focus. Um, and I, and I want to be wise and discerning. And so, um, I spend a lot of time in prayer and just seeking, um, what is, what is the right thing to do here? And then it becomes pretty clear. I mean, it's amazing, uh, how God, um, when he, when he has something for you and you're willing to say, okay, I don't really know what this is, um, but I'm going to trust him and a step forward in faith. So I'm going to say yes. How then, um, things come together that it just makes it really clear that this is supposed to be part of your story. And that happens for me over and over again and just continues to solidify that God is real and that he's big and that he has bigger plans. So 
I mean, I don't have a five or 10 year business plan. I really don't, but I'm just stepping out in faith and excited to see where, uh, where those businesses go. And, uh, the fact that I'm talking to you this morning, we, we kind of talked about this earlier is, uh, is totally a God thing. And, um, and there's been in the last year, especially, um, my heart has just been, you know, burdened with how do I, what is my part? How do I give back to, to the farm and to the life I've got to live? Um, that I don't, I don't work 70 hours a week on this farm. Um, my grandma did, you know, my grandma, uh, when my grandpa was at work at the, at the mill, um, the manufacturing plant, grandma worked these fields and my dad and, um, it's their blood, sweat and tears. And so I, I don't feel guilty, but yeah, a little bit guilty that I just get to enjoy it. And I go out and fix fence now and again, or, you know, I think it's fun to work the cows and, you know, we just, we, it's, it's almost like playing for me because it's not my livelihood and it's hard work, but it's rewarding work and it's, it's just different. And so I think, okay, what is my role and how can I give back? And, and that's been my heart. And I think in, in just all humility, um, there's, there's doors that open and by faith, I just have to walk through them. And it's scary because I don't actually know where it's going. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but I think that's, you know, there, that's a risk of business. Yeah. Uh, there is, there's, it's calculated risk. Um, and, uh, there's social emotional risk for me. There's time. Um, but I just, I'm trying to be conscientious. I'm certainly trying to include my kids like the peppermint oil. Uh, that's actually, it's Elena's business with my dad and we're, we're working on branding it and, and doing all the, the work to be able to direct market it. But, um, we're also at the same time using that as a way to teach her about being an entrepreneur and all of the different things. I'm taking the five Mary's, um, small business course. Um, I love her and, uh, Mary Heffernan and, uh, Elena, my, 11 year old, you know, she's taking that course along with me, reading the books. And although she mostly just likes the pictures and wishes that she had cute boots, but, um, (laughs) no, she's doing really great. And, um, so what an opportunity to teach her about being an entrepreneur and about, again, raising, um, growing a product and being proud of that and being able to communicate, uh, what she's done and what my grandpa has done and my dad has done here on the farm to, an audience of people. And, um, so that's exciting. I love it. This legacy that you're building and you're being intentional about carrying on through your kids too. Yeah. That's, um, a little bit of our branding, uh, comes from that idea farm kid and company farm kid and co, um, is really my siblings and I sat down, um, and talked about, you know, for this next generation, how do we, how do we kind of keep this going for our kids? Um, my niece is just two. Um, she's the youngest. My oldest is going to be 12 in December. And we have, you know, these kids, my brother's kids, my sister's uh, little girl, uh, my two girls. And, you know, we think about, we talk about the stories of our childhood. I really grew up like little house on the prairie in the wrong era. I mean, my, my <laughs> dad was a farmer, full-time farmer. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, I wore, you know, little cotton dresses I tucked into my overalls and, um, just this idyllic, wonderful childhood. And in today's world, you just look around and you say, well, yeah, we could, we could live in a big city. We could, we could live on the lake. We could do different things, but could we teach our kids these invaluable lessons of hard work and growing your own and, um, and even the hard parts of farming where, you know what, uh, if you have livestock, you have dead stock. Like we, we know that and that's a hard lesson, but it's so important. It's important to know that when you're eating, um, you know, this bacon in the morning, that that was a life that was given for you. And so we're thankful, uh, really, truly thankful for the food that we eat, um, that the bread that we're eating, it, it took somebody's sweat and, and tears and heartache to grow that and that, you know, the, when there's a, a fire or a flood that you can imagine the real people that are dealing with that, that difficulty, because we deal with that difficulty. And, you know, when my girls go to bed at night, they're, they're praying for rain and for the weather. And, um, they're thinking about those little critters that, you know, uh, whether they're going to live or not. And so there's just so many important lessons, I think, to be, taught to our kids 
And there's just not easy ways to teach them. But responsibility, personal responsibility, that's that's huge. And there's just, you know, it's difficult outside of a rural life to offer your kids um, these opportunities. And so I want to preserve that. I want yeah. that to be, I would, I would love that when I'm 91, like my grandma, uh, that my great grandkids are coming over and I'm teaching them how to make apple pie, my grandma's apple pie. Um, and I love that. I love that my kids do that, that they ride their bikes over to my grandma's house and that, you know, they, they play go fish with her in the afternoon and they, they know how to make grandma's mac and cheese and, you know, they cook with her and they, they garden with her. All of that is so uh, important. And that, that is the legacy. I, I hope to, um, to just keep going that heritage, uh, land stewardship, um, that importance of if what we put into the ground matters, um, not for just this year, but for the next and for next. And, um, and, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's an important part of the ideas behind farm kid and co, um, our brand. It's perfect. Yeah, that's so exciting. Well, talk to us a little bit about Columbia Falls. What is it that you love about this town? Well, I'm born and raised Columbia Falls, and it is a a small, small town right outside Glacier National Park. It's on the Flathead River, and which is a beautiful, scenic and wild designated river. Columbia Falls is a is a, a really kind of having a renaissance uh, right now, which I am so excited about. Um, I graduated from Columbia Falls High School and then taught there for 13 years. And so being a teacher, you kind of know everybody. And of course, you know, I taught with people that were my teachers and it's, it's a small community and really champions one another. Um, it's still kind of town where my kids can ride their bikes around or walk from the library to the city pool. People look out for each other's kids. Um, we just let them kind of run wild. And I think there's not very many places that you can still do that. Yep. Um, where, you know, people leave their doors unlocked and you're just kind of, you, you know people in the grocery store and you care about one another. I was reading the other day this article about taking kind of social risks and thinking about people who are lonely, who might be around you. And it, there was some real practical suggestions about like neighborhood, like how to get to literally like how to get to know your neighbor. Do you know your neighbor's name? Do you know their kid's name or their pet's name? Or like, and it was almost in, like humorous to me. I thought, oh, do people really like need that kind of help, like to yeah. meet their neighbor? And then, cause it's just not the life we live. I mean, the neighbors here um, that surround the farm, many of them have been here for generations. And, um, they, you know, so I do know, I know their kids, I taught their kids or their grandkids. And, um, it's a, so it's a great place because there is a sense of community, but the Columbia Falls is really blue collar. We had Plum Creek, uh, lumber company, which was bought by Weyerhaeuser a couple years ago. And then, uh, an aluminum plant that was shuttered about a decade ago. And, uh, those were the primary, sources of income for people, not just in Columbia Falls, but the Valley. And so, you know, there's been recession and uh, economic downturn in this community that was difficult. It was difficult as a teacher to help people through and and to see happen to your town. But there's really been this revival in Columbia Falls, and it's been fostered by uh, my generation, by friends from high school who, you know, uh, started small businesses and then have community mindset and outreach. Um, a good example for, of that is my friend O'Brien, who uh, he and his wife own the liquor store, and they have cleaned up um, – buildings and they've invested their time and energy and money into developing a community market on Thursdays. And it's just this great time. It really is like the event of the week that everyone in the Valley wants to come to. There's great bands and a dance floor and, um, a kid's market where my little girls can sell peppermint or Evie's selling her cut flowers. And, uh, so there's, uh, CSAs and farm stands and, and the community comes out and comes together and there is that sense of community and a renewed morale and excitement and, uh, pride. You know, I remember when I was a kid, um, people were proud to, to be from Columbia Falls. If your if your dad worked at the aluminum plant, it was like a high paying job and you had money that you could go buy, 
a place on the lake, you know, a lake cabin. And, and, and there was some affluence, although like blue collar, hardworking. And when that went away, there was like this real loss of identity in the community. And, you know, some of the other towns in, in the Valley have always seen themselves as more of a, a destination. And Columbia Falls never really had that sense. We were more like the working town. Um, and so it, we're kind of coming to terms to what does it mean to be Columbia Falls? Um, and, you know, we have our first hotel, the first hotel in town built like two years ago. And we're right outside Glacier National Park. Two million people a year come to Glacier National wow. Park. And the first hotel in Columbia Falls was two years ago. Uh, but with that comes, you know, this renewed sense of small businesses opening and restaurants. There's great restaurants and there's activities to do. And and so it's it's fun and it's fun to see people being successful at these ventures and, and then also working together. My friend, Rachel, um, she, uh, she bought the, the shop at station eight and she, you know, bring, brought more people in to, to the store and is giving more people opportunities to, to shine and, and then collaborating with other small business owners. And, um, and I just love that. Uh, it's, it is really a sense of community where we're all trying to help each other raise, raise the tide and, um, and benefit from uh, that sense of pride of being from being from Columbia Falls. We say uh, Montana till I die. I mean, we just love it. We love it. <laughs> so good. Well, what's next for you? Well, um, it's funny that you ask because uh, it wasn't, um, but <laughs> like two days after I decided I was doing this that you contacted me. But uh, <laughs> I'm working on a cookbook proposal. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about putting together a, a gather in Montana type, um, more lifestyle even than just recipes, because I think, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of really good food to be eaten, to be made and eaten for sure. Uh, but there is something different about Montana. And I think, uh, as people were voyagistic and we want to experience what it might be to live in, an, in a different life than what we are living. And certainly Montana is a life that a lot of people kind of romanticize about. And, you know, we, we kind of joke that people see Montana maybe differently than it actually is. I remember in college, you know, people would ask me, do you ride your horse to school? (laughs) (laughs) Do you, do you have running water? You know, like, uh, uh, and I think there is a little bit of that mentality still too, that like we are kind of backwards in Montana or just we're all cowboys, you know, the dumb and dumber kind of cowboys perhaps. (laughs) Um, and again, Montana is very diverse. It's a huge state and it's regional. I'm a native Montanan and that is something special. If you're from Montana, we, we take great pride in that. Um, because we're, we're small state, uh, in terms of population and, um, we're happy when other people come here for sure. But I can definitely tell you that, you know, there's parts, there's regions, Montana is regional and, um, so I'm hoping to kind of capture a little bit of that story too. Uh, farm life for me in Northwest Montana is very different than it is for the ranchers and farmers on the east side of the mountain. Um, and there's there's just so much history here too. And um, so I'm excited to kind of pull together some ideas of Montana lifestyle, um, specifically here to what my daily experience is in Northwest Montana and share that. But but also a little bit of those uh, road trips that we do to f- see friends on um, different in different parts of the states and what their cuisine is and what they do. Um, and uh, so I think it's going to be a really fun project, and I'm excited. I'm working with Jeremiah and Rachel Spray um, as photographers, and they're phenomenal. Um, and so it's it's an exciting project, and um, I'm also, you know, have a, a few other things up my up my sleeve that I'm working on for this fall with the publication of Where Women Cook Holiday magazine. It will be coming out um, and available at Barnes and Noble and. Um, Costco, and uh, the farm will be featured in the magazine, the holiday edition. Um, and I'm just—it was such a fun treat to work with Celeste Shaw, and um, in the Where Women Cook magazine. So I will have some really fun recipes in there, and some great uses for peppermint essential oil, which we're going to be selling on our website. Um, 
it's uh, farm grown and 100% food grade oil. And you can, you know, you could use a different kind of essential, a different brand of essential oil, but Flathead Valley peppermint is world renowned um, in flavor. And so it's just a real treat to be able to make, especially those holiday recipes, your hot, you know, hot chocolate with peppermint or your coffee. And um, so there's some really fun recipes. And that was a, a really fun um just wonderful experience to be able to be part of Where Women Cook, uh, the holiday magazine. So that's to be coming out in November. And leading up to that, there'll be some really fun things. So I hope um, I hope everybody will kind of follow along either on Instagram or follow my blog and keep up with all of those things as they're released and some exciting, exciting new launches with that. That is so exciting. We can't wait. I can't wait to follow along. So thanks. We'll be sure to link to all of that in the show notes so that everybody knows how to follow you and to find you and if they want to order stuff online. Perfect. That way. Yeah, perfect. I'm I'm hoping to, to put together like a smaller uh, cookbook kind of a preview too. So we'll see. It's, well, again, it's like time management, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> but big things ahead. Yes, Very yes, cool. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Allison, for being on the podcast. This has been great. Oh, thank you, Dana. I just appreciate so much you reaching out. And uh, this has been an unexpected blessing. And um, we're just so thankful you made it here. And I hope you enjoy Montana while you're here. It's been so fun. Yeah, great. Well, I love the amazing legacy that Allison and her family get to carry on and what they're doing to preserve that. I also really appreciate her take on 4-H livestock and land stewardship. As she mentioned, Allison is being featured in the Where Women Cook Holiday Magazine, which will be on newsstands October 1st. Be sure to go grab a copy and check out the links below for more information. We'll also be featuring stories of rural revival in Columbia Falls on the blog this week, so head to ruralrevival.co to follow along. Thanks to Allison for being on the podcast and thanks to you for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Have a great day, everybody.